Um, I mean, 75,000 pounds is, is, is a big, in some ways we had a prophesy last week, it could be a mountain, but you know what? We've seen God provide and provide testimonies and stories over, over the past. And I think we just continue on that journey to see God do that. And you know what? We, we build what he gives us and we, we do that and we see um, him produce the result at the end. Um, but just so you know, we're, after our initial launch of, of last Sunday, where we're at currently is um, doing a few calculations because things have been coming in. Um, online and given and committing to um, this, this project alone, we've, we've raised about £27,500 um, from our wee church alone. Um, now that's then with, you know, that's in, including UK gift aid, okay? So um, the gift aid will come in on that, it's always, and I appreciate you guys um, claiming gift aid on that as well, it really helps. And then as well, in normal, over the past year, we'll have about £8,000 of gift, gift, gift aid to come in. So that leaves us about around, around the £30,000 to £35,000 um, mark just to work with. And I mean, heading into this um, building project, that's a really good place to start. And I really feel like, you know, from our church, you know, a small church that we are of not even, you know, 75 people, I think that's just incredible where we're at. So um, thank you for your generosity, for your continued generosity. And again, um, if you feel like you still want to give to that, there's the QR code, but also you'll see it on emails as well. So um, just continue to pray into that. We want to be just faithful with God's asking to do. You know, no figure, no size of a building ever stands in our way. I think that's just who we are in the journey way. It's our DNA. We just do what God's asked us to do. And then, you know, I can remember when you met in the, the St. Patrick Center. I mean, we looked at this space and we thought, no way would we be able to do that. You know, this this was on for like 30,000 a year. And well, you just send in, you know, a man who could sell uh, wool to a sheep and you get it for a lot cheaper, but um, that's John Ash. And, uh, you know, in this building, but also just the future projects, for me, I just look at this and go, we continue just to give God, you know, our, our, our two loaves and three fishes and, and he multiplies that. So again, um, we do, I feel like we're always asking for you to invest in the things that we're doing. So I'm, I'm always really conscious of that, but um, I just want to say thank you just again for, for your continued sewing into that. Um, you're not sewing into our vision. It's, it's God's kingdom. We just be stewards of that. I don't want to reiterate that. Okay, so if you have any questions on that, then please come chat. Um, if you want to learn how to give, continue to come chat. And that's with pledges as well throughout the year. Um, we've had a, a bunch of people commit to pledging, which has been great as well. So um, yeah, and just watch the space with the building. We, you know, we'll, we'll head into a building project and, and that'll happen um, at some point soon. I always love um, when Jesus, you know, we talk about soon, how soon. Well, we just will see when soon happens, you know. So when we have more information, we'll fill you up as well. But there's conversations happening behind the scenes, okay? So, um, which is good. I can promise we are at the very end of our Nehemiah series, okay? So I know we've been building on this for like six weeks. Um, it's been building for the future, but it's just always been really good to take a bit of time. And I know for some of you, it's been, it's been helpful, okay? So this will be my last week, and you'll get different speakers over the next couple of weeks, so you'll get a break from me as well, okay? So you can um, do a huge sigh of relief on that, okay? Um, which is good. What I want to look at this morning is, you know, over the past, I mean, not only the past while, but just, just in general, a lot of people who I speak to, whether they come into the council room or whether they just in conversations, and all of us can relate in, in some capacity, but, you know, culture today, through marketing media, through, you know, any way of, you know, the advertising industry, or even just the Western society, we are obsessed with trying to be happy. Anybody who here wants to be happy? Well, yeah, put your hand up. Like, you know, it's okay to be, want to be happy, okay? It's not a trick question. I know some of you think, oh, what's he going to do, right? Um, 
everyone I talk to, they go, I just want to be happy. And they usually come in and they chat about what are the things that, you know, are, are hindering their happiness. But, you know, the Lord looks at more than happiness because how many know happiness is just circumstantial, okay? You, what, you can be happy. Any Liverpool fans in the room? I was so happy last weekend because we, we hammered Man United 7-0. But then yesterday we got beat by the team at the bottom of the league 1-0. I mean, that's typical. So if my happiness was based on Liverpool, then it wouldn't be very, you know, steadfast, right? You have to learn that way anyways. But there's something that I want to look at this morning, and it's joy, okay? Because happiness is circumstantial, but joy is much deeper than that. It's of the Lord, it's, it's in the Lord, and it's, it's, it's regardless of the circumstances. It's why Paul was able to sit three floors down in a Roman prison when, when you're three floors down in a Roman prison, everything else is coming down on top of you, just saying, right? And, and he was able to consider it all joy for the Lord. So we, we want to look into that. But one of the things I've also discovered is one of the reasons why a lot of people aren't happy is because they're living in the daily grind, the daily grind of life. They feel like, they feel like they're just going through the mundane every day of life, that they're, they're doing the daily grind from their Monday to Saturday, you know, just living for the weekend. They're just living for Fridays, uh, the weekend. They live for then Sunday to get their pick-me-up to then get them on to the rest of the day. In fact, you know, if, if Christians were honest, they would begin to then look and say, do you know what, Lord, just help me get through this mundane, God-forsaken, broken world so that I can be in the bliss of heaven. And that's a lot of times what people even think in, in terms of the framework of heaven is, you know, heaven is just the blissful place you go to get off this God-forsaken ship. And that's what a lot of people think. No, it's much more than that. Because yes, we live in a fallen, broken world. And yes, sins and, and, you know, infiltrates its way into our lives. But to live a painful, mundane, daily grind isn't how many know the reality that he has for his church. How many know that living the mundane, daily grind, monotonous every day is not, running the rat race, the hamster wheel is not actually what God has destined for his church. So if you've got your Bibles on you, I want to go, we're looking at chapter 8 of Nehemiah, okay, just for, just for the last week. And we could unpick, you know, this for a number more weeks, but um, if you want to go there, you'll see just where we're going to pick off today, okay. Last week we looked at how, over the last couple of weeks to be fair, we looked at how Nehemiah, when they were building the walls, he mentioned, once the walls were built, he then said, the city was spacious and not occupied, okay. And you'll see that in, in, in chapter 7. And then, he, and then there's a part where Nehemiah goes on to say, he looked over the register that when um, the people of God had first returned from exile, okay, there was a time when Ezra had called people back to um, the restoration of the temple. And he looks over, and there's this wee born point of, of, to be honest, where they do the genealogy and he goes through all of the, you'll see that in chapter seven, where he goes through all the different um, people of Israel. But what then begins to happen, you see that they didn't stick around. The walls weren't rebuilt, they didn't stick around. And then it goes on to say, and I think it's maybe at the start of chap or at the end of chapter seven, it says that they were dwelling in their own lands. Okay, so this is where it's at. The walls been built. The place hasn't been really occupied. We hear then that God puts it in Nehemiah's heart to gather the people back. And what he's saying, he's setting his context where uh, the people then dwelling in their own lands. All right, so that's in, that's where chapter seven's at. And it's really important to know that when God put it on Nehemiah's heart to gather people, it was for a purpose which we'll see. It was for a reality that would be greater than, for a greater awareness of who God was. It was bringing back to temple, the, to, uh, temple worship. It was, it was the worship of God, being back in that, that space where heaven and earth would collide. 
In fact, what we'll begin to see, it was the purpose of God putting that on Nehemiah's heart was to bring his people back to a God conscious. Just a, a conscious awareness that God is in their everyday life and that he is at the center of it. But like it said, that the, it was also so that the people wouldn't be dwelling in the lands that they found themselves, that they'd settled for, that actually God had more in store, okay? Because when we meet on Fridays, which by the way, we're not gonna be meeting this Friday night just because you know, we're doing St. Patrick's Day and, and all sorts. I know people are, um, are going to be, uh, you know, very well. <laughs> just going to be doing St. Patrick's Day so on. So, um, but when we meet on Friday nights, we meet because that's what we're praying for. We're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this area where there would become what, I like to, what we like to call is a God-conscious awareness where everyone just knows. It's like when you walk into certain environments or even on worship this morning, which was very sweet, and there was a, there was a measure of purity there that you just go, God is God, and he's, he's real, and he's above it all, and he's in all, and he's, you know, no power, no dominion, no position, no authority can ever, he's matchless, he's holy, he's set apart. All of that begins to become really aware, aware in the people. And that's what the call that we see in this context is that they would experience more in life than where they find themselves, the lands or the daily grinds that they find themselves. In other words, for us, living more than just for the weekend, all right? But when I was reading chapter eight, we begin to see there's a shift, okay? So if you, if you have your Bibles, you'll see immediately from chapter seven to chapter eight, there's a bit of a shift. Because in chapter seven, they're dwelling in their own lands, the places where God didn't want them to be. But then at the beginning of chapter eight, all of a sudden it says this, now all of the people were gathered together as one man. In fact, the New Testament would call that of one accord in the open square that was in front of the water gate. So at the end of chapter seven, we see that they're in their own lands. But then all of a sudden in the next chapter, they're gathered as one man. You have to think, what's happened? What's changed? It's like we've been dropped into the middle of a story, okay? For all you novelists out there, it's like you don't like why you just dropped in the middle. What's the context? What's going on? See, what's happened is I believe we've been dropped into a scene of revival. I don't know if you know, but Nehemiah chapter 8 is, it's been, it's the scene of an outpouring of God. And it's actually a scene where only God could have moved. Now, we're not given privy to what's going on. We don't want to paraphrase it too much. But we're dropped into a scene where only by the Spirit of God were, and through the prayers of Nehemiah and the people, where God had then gathered them all of a sudden as one accord, as one man in, in the temple square, Okay. You see, the Spirit of God had moved these people through the prayers of Nehemiah and through the grace of, of, his, of his mercy. He moved them from being in their own lands to all of a sudden being where he wanted them to be, where he had destined them all along. This was what the heart of God was before. When God, all throughout this uh, Nehemiah series, when we see that God wants to build the temple walls, he was really building something different. In fact, for anybody who, who might be interested in revival history or, or reads different things, there's an account in the Hebrides revival, okay, it's, uh, I think it was the Isle of Lewis in Scotland um, in the 1950s, again, you can, you can fact check that. But just to get you up to speed on that, it was, really it was a revival where two older ladies, they, they you know, one was completely blind and, and they, they, they got a burden for the community, okay, they lived, I think, near the police station, but they just, you know, they were seeing the state of the, the congregation. There was, you know, no young people going to church. There was no young families going to church. Really hardly anybody was going to church. And there wasn't really a fear of God in, in the community. 
And what they'd done, they decided twice a week from, I think, around 10 o'clock at night to 3 o'clock in the morning, they decided twice a week they're just going to get on their hands and knees and then a colleague for God to bring revival, to pour out his spirit and bring his people back. And what they'd done is they then began to spur the, the local elders and the local team on to continue to meet in a barn and, that, and the story goes on. And after a period of time, God, the power of God began to fall in these meetings and they began to call for uh, a local min- travel minister called Duncan Campbell. And again, you can go into it, don't want to bore you too much. And there's an account when he came to the island, these meetings had already happened because a lot of people believe that you know, he brought revival to the, to the area that actually he, he says that he just you know, happened to stumble or he came upon that was already there. And he arrives at this meeting at nine o'clock at night and there was around 300 people. He delivers a message, he, he ministers, and he says nothing really exciting happened. Until around 11 p.m. that when what they call the benediction where they're about to close the service, that uh, all of a sudden a young man stood up and he, I can't remember the scripture, but he, he, he prayed out and he, and he fell to his knees and all of a sudden at around 11, 11.30, the local blacksmith comes in the door and he says, come outside and come on and see what God has done. And all of a sudden there were six, over 600 people gathered outside the, the, the barn, the church. And, and nobody knew how they got there. Nobody had went and got them. Nobody went and, and they, they just were all of a sudden saying, we, you know, we just gathered. And what they would say, they were gripped by the fear of God. And this, these small islands, you know, it, it's powerful when you see that this was time before social media advertising, all sorts, that all of a sudden it was beginning to spread. The fear of God was beginning to spread. And like it says, nobody told them, nobody knew how they got there, but it only was really because of a move of the Holy Spirit. In fact, what we began to see was the Spirit of God began to convict and began to, to speak in these people's lives where they previously didn't. And that's what I believe what we've seen in Nehemiah 8, okay? When the Holy Spirit moves in people, when the Holy Spirit moves in our communities, he moves for them to know truth in a time where truth is subjective. He moves for them, the Spirit of God moves so that they, move the, they may know the Word of God in a time where truth is your own truth. You know, a lot of people say today, you know, you can have your own truth as long as it makes you happy. As long as it doesn't affect anybody else's happiness, all right? See where I'm getting with this? And it's in times where, you know, your truth is your truth, is where we need the Spirit of God to gather his people to hear the word of God. And when that happens, it begins to be the sparkings of revival. So in Nehemiah 8, when we see that the people of God were gathered as one man in the temple square, it then goes on to say this, they then told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel that they may speak it. So that even before the word of God was spoken, the spirit of God was already at work. How many of you know that before we, because sometimes our community isn't handled, ready to handle the truth. You aren't ready to handle the truth. I don't know where that's from. That's a movie reference somewhere. But we need the Spirit of God to do our work. How many of the Spirit of God is out in our communities? And we got to continue to pray that he would move and be at work. Because people don't gather as one man for the things of God unless the Spirit of God grips them. That's what we need in our community, a fear of God. In fact, we're seeing it in families. Young kids don't fear authority anymore. In fact, some of your young grandchildren don't fear you anymore. It's like the fear of authority is gone. It's like, I'll do what I want. And what we do, there's this thing called happy parenting, by the way. Have you heard about this? And I don't want to go into it too much, but, you know, it's, it's a bit, people need lead. Anyway, I'll not go into that. I'll leave that for the parents at another time. 
And people don't then desire the word of God unless the spirit of God moves us to it. And what I've been discovering, and I've had a few chats with you over the past couple of weeks, is that we live in a community and a society that have come to believe they no longer a need for God. People don't believe they need God anymore. Think about it. They've got, you know, Netflix on demand. They've got, you know, you know, access to all sorts of comforts. They can go to the Hastings Hotel Group, to, you know, for the spa for when they're feeling down and, and not happy. There's so much comforts at, at our fingertips that we no longer feel like we need God. In fact, at our home group a couple of weeks ago, somebody had asked, why are people in Africa seeing the miraculous poured out and we're not seeing it here? It's because they have a dependency and a need for God. Their, their very real poverty means that they need a move of God otherwise, otherwise they'll die. Now, I am very thankful for modern medicine. We all are. And it's not a secondary healing, but there's something about us and our communities is we don't feel like we need God anymore. We can be comfortable where we're at. And really what's going to take, it's going to be only by the Holy Spirit that can remove the scales of our eyes that we would begin to see and realize our dependency on God. I want to ask who here likes being dependent on God? Who here likes being dependent on anyone? Anyways, I'll just leave that there, right? (laughs) Because at a time where we have so much at our fingertips, I mean, we have so much. We have a, a need for him that's even greater than ever before. In fact, when the Spirit speaks, and I may be guilty of this, it's important that we begin to cooperate instead of resisting it. But so many of us get distracted because if you're like me, your brain can only retain so much of the information that we take in throughout the day that when we, you know, that God speaks, then all of a sudden it just gets filtered in with everything else. Because when the Holy Spirit begins to move in our lives, it's important that we cooperate with it, but then it's only by that cooperation that the Word of God will have its full effect on us. That when God brings a revelation or when God begins to speak a word to your heart, it's only through then you being like Jacob and sitting on that and wrestling with that, well, then you begin to see its full work in your life. The reason we're seeing what happened in Nehemiah 8 or the Hebrides revival or you know, even the Asbury revival is because people were hungry for God to do a work in their lives. I mean, they were hungry. They were wanting God to move. Now, how many, we all want God to move in the ways that we think are going to benefit us positively, right? But who's willing to let God come and do the real heart surgery? We're willing for God to be the magic genie, but we're not willing for him to come and be the, the heart surgeon, right? But how many know we can't choose who God's going to be at any given, any given time, right? And Nehemiah 8, it tells us, it says, Ezra read the law in the open square that was in front of the water gate, listen to this, from morning until midday. In other words, Ezra was reading the word of God from the crack of dawn until midday, the hot sun. So for around six hours in the morning, Ezra read the word of God and the people listened. I mean, how much is that happening these days? If I says, right, you know what? I mean, we moved church to one hour before our normal start time. I mean, obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be speaking about anybody who's not here. Everybody comes from different, you know. But how many of us, are, if I says we're meeting next week at 6 a.m., Oh, wait a minute. Somebody's like, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, again, I'm not using guilt as a mechanism to control us, right? That, that, it's never a good motivator. Because to be honest, I'd probably be the, first one, the last one out of my bed, let's be honest. 
but it's only by a move of God doing something on the inside of us. The fear of God, the gripping of God, that we have moved past religion. We have moved past, you know, legalism of I have to learn, I have to know the word or else God's going to shout at me. I have to do my homework, my daily devotion this week or God's going to be angry at me. Can I tell you something? If that's your view of God, you may need to come see me. Because can I tell you something? That's not who God is. And what we see here is people are willing to sacrifice something. In fact, they, they had a desire. They wanted to hear the truth of God in a time where truth was subjective and your own truth. In fact, just like Jacob, they, they, for six hours, you know, if I speak for six minutes more, you're probably telling me to get off the stage. But for six hours, now again, reading the word's different. But they, for six hours, they waited around until they got their blessing, a bit like Jacob. And like I said, there's been never more than a time than on our lifetime than right now than we need people who are hungry for the truth of God and who are hungry to, have the, to encounter the presence of God that changes them from the inside out. Now, it does require good, solid teaching and, 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 and good application that it's not just about religion and it's not just about you know, our own agenda, but really good life-giving teaching. And the issue is people don't pursue this or don't stay hungry is because they actually don't, they don't believe that God wants to meet with them. They don't believe that God really wants to gather them. That they just believe, you know, what God's done in the Hebrides, what God's done in Asbury, what God's done in these different, they're just set aside for different times. And you know what? We, if God comes, God comes. We'll just wait around until we get off this God-forsaken ship and then we'll be in the bliss of heaven. But if your view of heaven is only to be when you die, that's only a half-truth. Because when Jesus teaches his, his followers, you know, pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I spoke about it last week. It's about this overlapping. Now, in our Western, you know, intellectual society, we don't really, you know, we, we push a lot of that to the side. But there is something about where God wants to come in an overlapping where we, we feel like we're in heaven now. That we get the first fruits and the foretaste of what is to come. And what begins to happen is people do believe that God withholds or God is, and now there might be a level of, you know, accusative emotions that we'll look at about a sense of sinfulness and God being distant. But really, because along the way, it's not that God's withholding, but it's actually because we get clogged up on the inside. Along going through the process of life, we get clogged up on the inside. In fact, I remember a time when um, I, was, I was doing the dishes at home. Now, yes, a man doing the dishes, I get that's, that's a miracle in itself. Um, and I was, I was just, you know, water was going obviously down the sink and I was doing dishes. And all of a sudden I noticed my feet started getting soaking. I thought, well, there's my first issue. I thought, what's going on? And I opened the, the, the door and all of a sudden there was water coming out of the U-bend. But what had happened was I discovered the U-bend had got clogged. And there was, for some reason, an overflow pipe. Instead of it coming back up through the drain and filling the sink, instead it just poured out this overflow pipe and just began to soak the floor. And like I said, it was the grease, it was the dirt of obviously that was the first issue I got wrong, where it began to clog up the U-bend. In fact, you know, some of the water was able to you know, trickle through, but not enough to clear the dirt away. And, and life's a bit like that. That we get clogged up with the grease and the dirt of life. We get clogged up with issues and emotions and, and sin, where it, the, the love and the, and the refreshing water, the river of life, doesn't flow through us the way it used to. 
it just trickles through or it gets clogged at times and we, we feel like God's angry and God's withholding from it, but really there's just a clogging in our U-bend. See, sometimes the sins and the pains get clogged that really we just need God to wash them away. We need God to come and do his work in us because we struggle then to experience the flow of God in our lives. But can I tell you something? We live under an open heaven and what Jesus done on the cross was the final authority for that veil to be torn. But how many of you know we don't always live with that reality? So we, we have to ask two things. Either one, God's the problem or we're the problem. But can I tell you something? In that question, you're always the problem. All right? But that's good news because God's never changed who he was and what he'd done on the cross. So we get to have faith and, and trust in that and, look, and then all of a sudden allow him to come and do a work on us so that the flow can go again. We have to ask how hungry are, for, are we for the flow to come again? Because like I says, it's not that God was ever withholding, but it's just because we've got clogged up. And any outpouring of the Holy Spirit, any uh, movement where it's, there just seems to be this God-conscious awareness in, in an environment or a gathering of people, it's because there's a desire, I believe, for holiness. How many of you know we need a holiness movement like never before? In our churches, in our communities. But remember, people just believe that they set the only the moral standards for their lives. But how many know God is the one who sets the moral standards? Now, it's not a benchmark because guess what? We all have sinned and fall short, right? But there's something that God, holiness, the wholeness that he wants to do in us. And that's what that desire is, is that the Lord will help see an unclogging of the things in our lives so that his river of life may flow again. Sometimes we need to be humble to go, I'm clogged up. I need a good plunger. And it's only when the people of God are willing to cooperate with the Spirit of God that they will see the truth. And how many know when you shall know the truth, the truth shall do what to you? Set you free. But now we often don't like the truth. What happens if you don't like the truth you see? It's still going to set you free. Our response to God's revelation of that will dictate how much of an outpouring we'll receive. Now God will, is sovereign. He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh is what He says. But for us, it's why we can sit in a row and, and, and one person, you know, obviously encounter is different. But our willingness to cooperate with God's revelation will dictate how much of the blessing we get. And when people who gather, you know, gather that day in Nehemiah, they open themselves up to that new revelation, to that correction. Who here loves being corrected? I love some of the honest people. It's great. Some of the, the crossing of the arms. We're all in that boat. But listen to this, it says, Nehemiah, or in 8, 9, it says, when they done that, it says, all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They realized they had fallen short. They were away doing what God had asked them to do. They began to see the clogging up within. They began to see the sin. They began to see the struggles. And sometimes it really hurts getting corrected. Sometimes it really hurts seeing where we've fallen short. But listen to this. And in our Northern Irish culture, we need to know this more than ever. God doesn't correct you to shame you. God corrects you because he loves you. A good parent will lead and correct their kids to see them grow. But sometimes all of us, all of us, we just, we just are corrected, whether it's in school, whether it's been with a parent, whatever it may have been, because they've wanted to punish us or control us. And that's affected our view of how God wants to correct us. See, God has holy moments ordained in your life, in our church, 
where in his presence we will face the sin, we will face the pain, but then move toward change. And I really believe in Northern Ireland, we have got so good at this. We've allowed shame and we've allowed a heart of criticism, I would say, to come into our churches because we called it defending the gospel. And what we've done is we've allowed criticism to come into environments of a church where nobody feels emotionally safe enough to actually face their sin corporately. I really do believe that that's one of the things in Northern Ireland that's filtered in. Is we're so critical of each other. We're so gung-ho and strong at calling out the weakness in another person. But remember, you will always call out that which you don't like in another person because it's that which you don't like in yourself. And God has holy moments for you and I. Can I tell you something? We need a move of God. Not only in our community, but in us. Because if we stay where we're at, our community has no hope. Thankfully, the hope is in Jesus, right? And God has those holy moments ordained. Because it's about a reorientation. Now, about us changing and us seeing revelation, isn't about God telling us off. It's about him helping to show us where we just went off course. Because God has a hope and a future for you. It's a bit like anybody who's from this, this area of the coast. It's a bit like when a ship is going past in John's lighthouse at night. And the light of the lighthouse shines on the surroundings and shines on the ship to show the rocks that they're heading for. That revelation isn't to shame and say, hey, you're doing it wrong, you're going in the wrong direction. It's just to watch them of the danger that lies ahead. Because God doesn't correct you to shame you. He corrects you because he loves you. He doesn't want you to have a car crash. He doesn't want you to be shipwrecked. And actually, when we our car crashes and when we get shipwrecked, he doesn't come along and say, I told you so. Now, I know our spouses, and you, you would love to do that with you and your spouses and your kids, I told you so. But God's not like that. And when God reveals something, we have to have the humility. to go. At. Humility says this, I'm going to be wise enough to listen. I'm going to press in and engage. Because Acts 3 is a mirroring presence in this, or promise in this. It says, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, unclogged, that the river, flow may life, but it says, river of life may flow, but it says this, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. How many of us want times of refreshing in our own lives, in our services, in our, in our families, in our, in our communities? Repentance is the doorway to more joy in your life. But repentance doesn't have to be a dirty word, okay? But an invitation to seeing the dirt removed from the inside of us. Now, it's usually at these points we get all defensive. We go, do you know what? I don't have any dirty marks. I don't have any dirty sheets in my house. But actually, we have to go, do you know what? Because when we become so used to living in the daily grind, getting to the weekend, getting to the next comfort, the next thing, we've got so used to being rusty and resistant to change. We forgot what it looks like or what it feels like and tastes like to be refreshed again. I don't say this to go, look how bad you are. I say, no, there's hope here. We have to see that this is not God's final plan for life. In fact, a lot of you will know this, but one of the earliest movies I ever remember growing up was The Wizard of Oz, like the old school one. You know, The Yellow Brick Road. Maybe it's just a, a distortion of the way of life, but anyways, it's a different conversation. There's a scene in it where Dorothy finds the Tin Man. I don't know if you remember this scene where, you know, the Tin Man is in a forest, he's stuck. 
And he gets stuck and he gets rusted because he gets lost in the forest and gets caught in the rain. See, sometimes we get lost in the process. Sometimes through trying to find our way through life, we get stuck in life's rain and we get rusty. Like the tin man. But it only takes the oil of heaven. It only takes an encounter with him to begin to set us free in whatever area of our lives that are rusty. But we could be, in that story which he wasn't, tin man could be uh, defensive or he could be you know, unwilling. I don't need your help, but he's stuck. Imagine if Dorothy came along with the, the tin can and the oil and says, hey, I want to help you. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not stuck. No, no, I'll, and he gets, how many of us are like that? But instead, we allow God to come with the oil of heaven to pour it out on all of us and go, you know what? I love you too much to leave you the way you are. Would we go on that journey together? As we come to the, to the end of the Nehemiah story, we see they've, they've, they've accomplished the impossible. They built a wall in 52 days. In fact, two months ago from that moment that we see in the, in the um, open square, the, the, the wall then ruins. They worked together with a united heart. They worked with dedication. They did a lot on their own strength. But yet we see them at a point where all of a sudden they're hopeless. They're overwhelmed by their sin and their guilt and their struggle and they feel burdened. But in these moments we have to know that what should always be greater than our awareness of our own sin is our awareness of his love and grace to see us through it. Otherwise you will be living in hopelessness, helplessness and you will beat yourself up and really that's not the end destination. And that's often where these messages stop. And they leave it on yourself. But you know what? If it was on our own strength, then we wouldn't have any hope. Because God was saying, you know, you don't have to stay. Staying stuck is not the end of the, of the story. Because he goes on to say one of the most quoted uh, scripture verses. It says, go on your way. Do not sorrow because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That in every single day, it's not about just being happy because that's an emotion, but it's about having the joy of the Lord, the, the power and the presence of God move in your life that begins to deal with the things that actually are stealing your joy. That you do life not on your own strength, but on his strength. And it's a strength that's available to every believer. Because how many know God wants you to enjoy life? He doesn't want you just to say, I want to be in heaven to get off this God-forsaken ship. But actually he wants you to enjoy life. In other words, he wants you to, to live life in joy. Your everyday life in joy. He wants us to be refreshed. He wants us to be filled with joy. That we no longer have to run the rat race, the daily grind of every, every week or the hamster wheel of going around in circles. But we can place our hope knowing that actually God wants us to be refreshed. That we, we no longer have to look at ourselves because if you keep looking at, when we look at ourselves all the time, we just need to confess, that's just self-centeredness, right? Just call for what it is, okay? It's our ego and it's our, our narcissistic tendencies coming up. Our, okay, it's all of us, right? But we gotta look to him. Because if you're looking at yourself, you'll go in a downward spiral. But if you look at him, you'll have life in abundance. I wanna invite Chris back up. So where are you rusty? Where are you rusty in life? Where are you clogged up? What's stealing your joy today? Like all of the moves of God where he by his spirit gathers people and they don't even know how they gathered. Seeking the truth that will set them free. God longs 
for times of refreshing for his people. If that's the one thing you take away today, it's that God longs, Jesus died so that you may have life and life it abundantly. What does that look like? You would have resurrection life, but also you would experience times of refreshing in your soul, in your family lives, in your hearts. And I can tell you something, this you can bank your life on. Because if you continue to read the gospel, you will see that that is the whole narrative and the whole story. So what I want to do, why don't you stand? And what I want to do is really simple. I want to create a space this morning that if you want to get right with God, if there's something that he's revealing to you, and I don't want to put terms on it because I don't want, you know, you think we're just going after one thing. But as Chris begins to, to play this morning, I want to create space that you will come to the metaphorical altar and step out and go, God, I want you to come and move in this area of my life. I need you to unclog. I need you to de-rust. I need your oil this morning. But you would go on your hands and your knees or you would step out of, of your seat and just go, God, I want you to come. I want to invite you to come and do that this morning. You see, so many of us are leaders in this room. You're leaders in your job. You're a leader in your families. You're so used to having to be Superman or Superwoman for everybody. You're always used to being in control and having it all together. But yet you're rusting out or you're struggling in any way. And God's, I really feel like God's asking some of us this morning, will you humble yourself before me in my presence this morning? Will you come to me as my child because I can only then help you if you're willing to be helped. If you're willing to step out and say, God, just move you. It might be anything on the inside you're just going, God, I want you to come and do. There has to be a humbling this morning you would go, do you know what? And it's going to require you to step out and not care what anybody else thinks. But God, I humble myself before you. I'm tired of being all things to all people all the time and doing this on my own strength. I need you to come and pour your love on me this morning. That Holy Spirit, you would come and meet people where they're at. That I invite you to come and step out. Maybe you just know there's something on the inside of you and you're like, I don't know what it is, but I need to come to the altar this morning. I encourage you to come. Step out. any circumstances in our lives that we just need him to come that's it 
Holy Spirit come. Nobody's going to come. But Lord, we just ask for holy moments this morning, Lord, that we would meet with you. Lord, the times of refreshing will come in our church and our lives, Lord. The Lord, we're dependent on you.